welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I am your host, Sully, and with me we have Tori. Hello. And Tobias. Hey. And Bill. Excited to examine anime nerds in their natural habitat. The subject of our episode this week, we are doing the first in a, a new series that I've kind of come up with that I'm calling Otakumentaries. We are going to be looking at various documentaries, examining anime and otaku culture, and uh, kind of seeing where they stand, how what has changed in the community, uh, different perspectives, whether or not the documentary was made in Japan or in America or elsewhere, and kind of looking at where we have come uh as a as a fandom as a culture and this week we will be talking about akihabara geeks which was a 2005 documentary done by the nhk um in japan it was actually broadcast under the title nippon no genba akihabara toshino ze no monogatari which roughly is like the actual japan the tale of akihabara new year's eve um, they had seven cameras follow different people around Akihabara for one day and examine what it means to live in the electric city. So first, we're going to do a quick game of catch-up with everybody here. So what have you guys been reading, watching, consuming? We'll start with you, Bill. Uh, first up, I finished up Vanland Saga, which was uh, freaking fantastic. Um, if you are a big fan of Berserk... Uh, like really brutal violence and like uh, monologues about what it is to be a warrior, you will probably like Vinland Saga. And to counteract the brutal watching of Vinland Saga, I have been marathoning Kaon. I finished the first <laughs> season. I, I, I finished uh, the first season and really enjoyed it. And We'll probably start the uh, second season very soon. Uh, and at first, I was very hesitant to get into Kaon because I was one of those people, they don't play actual music. But then I realized I just got to treat it like laid back camp. And that is just a group of uh, girls being very funny and being very cute with each other and being in funny situations. And uh, that has got me to really enjoy the series. Uh, so yeah, I liked I like the sharp contrast between between the two that I've been watching. Um, I recently got a full time job, so I've been working five out of the seven days a week. Um, so that's fun. Other than that, I've just been utilizing the library. So I've still been on the train of as many books as I can get through in a month. And um, March just started. I thought I was gonna finish this book. A couple days ago, but I got my first book down for March, and uh, it involves um, old-timey detectives, kind of like a Sherlock and Watson, who try to solve the mystery of the death of a ghost hunter, so right up my alley. Um, pretty funny, the characters are really likable, um, and there's a second book in the series, so I'm pretty excited to read that. It's called The Seance Society. Interesting. When do you, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is a terrible question for me to ask as someone who is literally in graduate school for literature. <laughs> when do you find the time to read? Like when, like when is your reading time? Um, so when it is slow at work, I'll pull up the library app and read any like, um, eBooks that I have. Like my manager's just totally chill with that. He's like, as long as your job's done, like, go ahead. I don't care. Um, 
and I'll read on my lunch break. If I get to work early, I'll read in my car before I have to walk to work. And then um, before bed and if I'm like at a doctor's appointment. So I just try to get it in whenever I can. Um, usually when I have nothing else to do and I'm trying to kill time, I will read. But it's, it is very difficult. Um, and I feel like now I've been reading more than I have in quite a long time because <laughs> I kind of forgot books existed. <laughs> um, but I've just been trying to read whenever I can. So yeah, mostly I've been kind then. of doing something like that. I went back to the library and checked a few books out. You know, since the beginning of the year, I've been much worse about actually finding the time to read as well. But pretty much like you said, it's just a matter of any time you normally would be on your phone doing nothing, mm-hmm. just read instead. Yep, and I'm a very big. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? A very soapboxy person about like just mindlessly staring at the phone. Um, so, you know, I'll take all the okay boomer comments afterwards, but um, <laughs> I feel like instead of just mindlessly scrolling and making myself anxious or whatever, I'd rather just like read a book question mark. Um, but yeah, I, other than that, I just recently checked out the book for, um, or that's the basis of the Netflix series, You, and apparently it's really bad, and I'm so ready to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's all. See, I have been really trying to retrain myself t- for pleasure reading, because I have to read several novels at once for class. Yeah. Like, right now, I have to read... Four novels and I finished one and I've got halfway through the other. I haven't started the third one and the fourth one. I'm just like, I might, I, I God, I hope I get to you in town. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. and got, I, sorry, sorry and I, I was gonna say, you got, you three are making me feel bad. I talk about anime I've been watching. <laughs> Everyone else is reading books. No, that's okay. Well, <laughs> well, the thing is, is I'm doing this all for class, so I actually have a pile mm-hmm. of books, like, for myself I want to read, and I'm just having to learn to rest. I'm, I'm bad as, as much as I'm one of those people that's constantly structuring their day, I'm bad for putting in time for me, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. my New Year's resolution that I guess I'm terrible at keeping, is, like, trying to do things like have alone time where I do things like watch an anime, read a book, read a manga, play mm-hmm. a video game, and not like whenever I'm like, well, I have free time. And one of the two things I do is either scroll Twitter or read the news. And both of those things make me incredibly anxious. Yeah, I so... found something that's super helpful for me, especially when it starts to warm up. Like the weather is finally kind of getting to the point where it's nice while the sun's up. But our library, like the library that I normally go to, has a really pretty um like park built off of it because it's right in the middle of downtown and um i've not got to go there quite yet but i find when i go outside and just like listen to music and shove my phone down in the bottom of my bag i'm just like so in that moment so it helps a lot to um go outside i think too <laughs> and like god i sound like a 70 year old woman go outside and read a book <laughs> i love how we're doing this this episode on an on an otaku documentary and our entire thing is go outside and read a book <laughs> <laughs> oh don't worry <laughs> got plenty of other thoughts that go along with that um okay somebody so, else is not me because i'm done <laughs> tobias what have you been doing eh not much same all really 
Well, thanks for elaborating. That gives me so much to work off of. Are you watching anything? I mean, you really did something huge, like, this week. Do you want to talk about? about, Like, you you physically moved locations. He astral projected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I recently moved to Greensboro, of course. A couple reasons for it, but, uh, you know, some personal, some practical a bunch of different factors, but here I am in a different city. Uh, so I've just been spending the past four days just unpacking my entire life, reorganizing, and uh, got a place to myself. So it's been a, a welcome change, not having to deal with roommates or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I just got back from exploring Lost Ark video games, which I know that you know we're all huge fans of here at Third Impact. And uh, first time I've been in their arcade area in the back, and I gotta say it was pretty awesome. Their their pinball section is a plus. Yeah, no, I uh, you know I'm used to only being able to play rhythm games at cons, so I haven't really got you know I don't like to play them a lot, but that will certainly change now. Wait till yeah. you go to round one. Yeah, we oh we we went week, to round and, one. Uh, oh, yeah, they okay. had, they had a lot of really cool stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of like the pricing scheme better at Lost Ark, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely go to round one for specific things. And like, you know, a little round one maybe is a treat. But mm-hmm. uh, Lost Ark, I think I'll be visiting quite a lot more. There's a lot mm-hmm. of... Uh, a lot Tobias, of I have an important question for you. What? So now that you've moved, how are you going to get your tabletop fix going? Like, how are you going to play tabletop games? I will have to figure that out. Um I don't really know of any good game stores in the area yet, but I will surely will look around and investigate. I'm definitely taking a break since I wrapped up my uh, two-year D&D campaign you know, in Asheville Woo! after the move. Uh, I won't, won't knock that since I did go two years, you know, almost regularly playing That's, every week, every other week. That is quite so impressive. That. Yeah, uh, I'd say it's, it's great success as far as I'm concerned. Uh, my Gloomhaven game, we're going to try to do that on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, looks like there's a mod for that that works pretty well, so we're gonna try that to see if I can do it virtual. And worst case scenario, if Greensboro is a you know a uh, a complete lack of good tabletop gaming, then I'll just do it online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now I'm just kind of taking a break for that, just trying to rearrange my life. Well, and we're all happy to have you with us. I will I will come down to Greensboro. Pretty good. It's cool to be able to like hang out with you guys in Meat Space just whenever I want. <laughs> meat Space. Is anyone going to ask me what I've been doing? How what have about you, been doing? you, Sully? I'm so glad you asked. So <laughs> right now, as I said, basically I went from my first semester of grad school where I'm like, you know, this is different, but I can handle it. Like this is very much well within my capabilities and i feel like i am competent and this is what i'm in and then this semester was just like oh honey you have a big storm coming um (laughs) so right now i am either like obsessively working on my three three 20 page research papers or three three three. (laughs) uh working on my japanese speech because i'm participating in the university's uh speech contest uh i also 
tutor two interlink students where I help two non-native English speakers gain English proficiency skills and help them with their writing. I volunteer at the art museum on Mondays. I volunteer at my old internship at the vintage uh, reuse store on Sundays. And I also study with my friend for three or four hours on Sundays. And in between all that time, I try to sit down and not have an existential crisis. And read a book. <laughs> and read a book. And I really, I really have been struggling with that because I usually, like, my mental space when I am not working is, okay, time to crash. So I, like, lay in bed and, like, watch dumb YouTube videos or, like, not really do anything productive. So I'm trying to, like, force myself to schedule time where it's, like, read a book, play a game do something which has always been like a major struggle for me is like doing things i enjoy like putting the effort into things like that um and i really don't have any excuse because i have a bookshelf full of books that are like half read i need to get to and i mentioned to austin that i really want to read the vampire hunter d novels at some point and i just mentioned them like as a whim like yeah maybe one day and then he's like well i have them in the back of my car here you go and we were literally in <laughs> in the car so he, he drops me off at my apartment i just have well two things that i'll maybe get to read um so yeah other than that me and bill watched the first episode of lupon the third part one and the first episode of creamy mommy on tubi together and I'm probably going to continue, at least with, with Creamy Mommy, because it's very much in, like, my interests, like, 80s magical girl, very cutesy. Studio Piero did it. It's very good. And it's on Tubi, which, if you've not heard of, is a weird streaming service that's free, but it has ads. But it has, like, tons of anime, like, really weird stuff, like, like terrible Japanese-Italian co-productions. And it also has, like, Bleach. And, like... <laughs> Like, I think Pop Team Epic was on it, and they're just yep. sort of, like, wondering, like, what what licensing limbo have I entered where... They just pull them out of a hat, that's all. They really do, I guess. Um, but yeah, Creepy Mommy is on Tubi, the entire series subbed for free. Go watch it, go deal with the commercials, go... Like, there's so much free anime out there legally if you just know where to look. Um, so I've been doing that. I'm probably gonna watch that show that everyone's talking about about the anime club girls that i've seen it on twitter all the time i know austin and tobias love it and i didn't know what it was until today where it was like oh it's about girls in an animation club and i'm like well oh azokin yeah i it's might really give that good. a shot because <laughs> normally i'm like if it's made after 1995 <laughs> i'm not interested i oh. cannot wait until we can do a full episode on that show because i have yeah. a lot of thoughts about it and i just thank god every day that yuasa allows three teenage high school girls to just be three teenage high school girls that look like little gremlins <laughs> it's so good <laughs> yes it's great and the last thing i've really been getting into is I'm trying to get back into music again because I've never been like a person who follows musicians or bands. Like my favorite band, their last album came out like over a decade ago and I keep forgetting that. Um, but I've really, really been getting into um, the Japanese band Queen Bee who their lead singer, Avu-chan, did the Devilman Crybaby opening. They did the Dororo is there Ro another row? I'm never Ro sure. I, I, you know, we've covered that. They did the opening for that, and they are probably my new favorite thing. Um, they are like a they are a queer, like multiracial 
Japanese rock band, and they put up all their music videos on YouTube with English subtitles. Like, all of their albums and all their songs are very, like, like queer positive without mm-hmm. being, like, beating your head over it. And I'm obsessed with them, and I just... Their new album came out, like, a week or so ago, and I've just been, like, like listening to it in my bed, crying, like, I- I'm so here for everything right now. <laughs> and, like, singing terribly in my... Like, singing terrible broken Japanese in my shower to the probable horror of my neighbors who have to listen to me in the morning. So, like, if you have not listened to Queen Bee, go and do it. You can find all of their music on their YouTube channel, um, you can probably just search Avuchan and find it. Uh, just do yourself a favor and listen to it because them and Lady Gaga's new song are the only music I have cared about in the entire like last month or so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I had no clue they were the one that did a Dororo. Like I, I yeah. love the Dororo opening. It's, I played that just last week. Yeah, and if you've not heard, they have this. Um, this uh, YouTube channel, The First Take, where they get artists to do, like, acoustic versions of their big songs. And, like, Avuchan doing uh, Cayenne, which is uh, the, the Dororo ro, 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 ro mm, yeah. opening, uh, <laughs> acoustic. And just, it's, like, chef's kiss. Kino! That is absolute Kino. Kino? <laughs> yes, I've listened to it, like, 3,000 times. And just her voice is amazing. <laughs> So, Akihabara Geeks is a 2005 documentary. It was shot in 2004 in Japan in Akihabara, and they had seven cameras follow various people in Akihabara around to document their lives and who they are, why do they come to the city, what about it, what about this part of Tokyo draws them. And I am really into documentaries, and I really love documentaries about subcultures and about otaku culture and the anime industry, so I thought... This would be a good starter for us to jump into, uh, given that it was made over 10 years ago, to see what has changed, um, what kind of perspective can we learn from it being a documentary shot and made in Japan, um, and what we kind of see it telling us, like what its message, what its thesis is about otaku culture in Akihabara. So we'll just start out with like general impressions. What did you guys think? Um... It was interesting. They had definitely an interesting selection of people. I think I would have liked to have seen, um, along with the maid, another woman who was more into traditional otaku culture instead of just a woman that works at a maid cafe. Like, that sounds really negative, but I think it would have been interesting to see, like, 
some young woman going into like Mandarake and buying a bunch of Ikimen figures or something like this is my husband <laughs> um, <laughs> versus, uh, you know, just somebody at their job, even though that insight was really fun. Um, the first man they show, I kind of want to save him for last because I feel like there's a, there's a lot to unpack Motohara. there. Yes, Motohara. There's a lot to unpack there. That was the section that I took the most notes on, honestly. Um, the, uh, overclocker, Katsumi, I thought just all the segments with the overclockers were really wholesome. Um, and we can talk about it more because they focused a lot on like, if it weren't for me meeting these people, I wouldn't have stayed in this hobby. And they were very contrasting against the other young man because it was like, ah, these are my friends. I'm hanging out with these people. Like I go out to meet them versus I sit in my room all day surrounded by the dead eyes of like 2D girls <laughs> on my wall. <laughs> um... And then freaking Ryukishi07 is in there. And before I forget, I just want to talk about the fact that his mother moderates the online comments about his content. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's so cute. His parents are so supportive of him and are like happy to be there and to help him. And I also just really love Higurashi and like all the stuff he's created. Um, so him talking about like the process of that and how Akiba kind of in the beginning started as like a creator's space uh -huh. um, versus kind of what it's evolved into now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the two older men that own the electronics part store, the two separate stores. God, they were so wholesome. They were so sweet. Um, this documentary is kind of balanced between <laughs> like, God, I really want to make you make your bed and eat a, a decent breakfast. And also, like, you're very pure and wholesome, and I wish you nothing but love and light in your life. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, other than that, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like I'm going to go hardest on that one guy, and I, I know how that's <laughs> going to come across, so please, somebody else, like, say something. Well, so I just <laughs> jump off of that. Um... Yeah, I think I think the documentary as a whole does do a good job of showing how um, different these different generational gaps and nerd culture, otaku culture was in Japan, especially at this time. Uh, you know, you've got the older crowd, the overclockers and the the actual uh, like electronics nerds, which, you know, that's, that's where a lot of this culture came from. But then we moved into <clears throat> anime and then we had that that um, post-bubble uh, depression, the rise of the hikikomori, and the more anime-crazed otaku, that's when things changed from being more creative, proactive, to more sedimentary, more passive, um, more commercial, more just purchasing merchandise rather than making stuff in your space. And that's definitely something I've noticed in just you know independent research with anime fans, and that's the subcultures from the 80s into the late 90s and 2000s so i mean yeah we've got like the like the kid motohara and that sort of anime obsessed uh subculture and i mean i'm glad they, they had it in there because that's part of it mm -hmm. but i do like the fact they did contrast it with uh koichi the the shop owner and that little boy that buys that that little switch from him near the end and, yes. and builds that uh as an anime nerd myself i've seen a lot of people talk about akiba as being a very anime-centric culture. So I think it was inter interesting to see more of the electronic uh, aficionado stuff 
here as well. I would definitely like to watch a documentary just on the overclocking culture. I would I would really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nowhere really in the States where you can go and see kind of parts like that hanging up everywhere and like physically put your hands on them and look at them open. Like most stores here that sell computer parts, they're packaged and they're just like, if you even think about opening that, I'll kill you. Well, yeah. Am I, am I the only, am I the only little enough to remember Radio Shack? No, I remember Radio Shack. Yeah. I I, remember it, but I never went into it. I've yeah. spent a lot of time in Radio Show. <laughs> I remember uh, my my freshman year of high school when I took computer science class, we learned a little bit of uh, like how to use boards and various logic chips. And uh, mm-hmm. right around that time, I went to Radio Shack and just kind of was amazed in the back of all the drawers full of various little parts and doodads. And it's been kind of sad, you know, even though I didn't really follow that at all to kind of see that, that go away. You know, yeah. the Radio Shacks are for the most part closed and even the ones that aren't, if there's any that are still open, don't do that any longer. And of course you can't do that at a Best Buy or, you know, something like that. You just got to get the, you know, the new gamer keyboard and gamer mouse and, and the gamer bed. Well, it's just, things have shifted more online in, in general. Yeah. And, but I think you can still find that stuff in, in flea markets. Uh, I'm going to be, go ahead. I'm going to be one of those people that just say outright that, like, I identify not always in public, but as an otaku. And, like, I think there's this assumption, like, people like us who spend so much of our lives on the internet are good at computers. And I'm not. Like, I looked at these people and I'm like, I don't, I just realized that for the last year I've had this this microphone and haven't actually been using it properly. So, like. (laughs) Yeah, I was really impressed by that little boy at the end. Like, I was just thinking, oh, I hope he grew up to be an engineer or something. Mm. Because the way he could just, like, put all those parts together, solder them with a, a hot iron, and make them actually do something, that was really cool to see. And he was so young. Like, I would say he's probably no more than, like, 13, maybe 10. Yeah, he was pretty young. Um, you know, I was surprised that this documentary was funded and made by NHK. If you don't know what NHK is, that is the Japanese state-owned uh, television broadcast network. Uh, NHK has produced a lot of uh, otaku anime documentaries-centric uh, uh, documentaries. Like, they've done a documentary on Gundam. They've done a documentary on Kamiket, uh on uh lupin the third uh but that's that's more because the japanese government are able to do uh to make these agreements with studios and get uh people like the like monkey punch before he passed away or um other creators to do interviews because when i first watched this documentary i thought it was by an english uh studio because just the narrator uh, throughout the documentary, I found kind of annoying because it was very much like, "What is?" It sounded Akihabara? like a Nat Geo documentary. Like, look at yeah. this creature in their natural habitat. Yeah, it was. It was kind of like Sir David Attenborough, like examining yeah. like an an animal in their natural habitat of like uh, seven planets, one world, some, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I found that a little bit grating, but that could have just been a translation choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you guys covered all the the main people that are covered. I think what people forget is, yes, there are people who are into anime, but there's a spectrum when it comes to 
nerddoms and fandoms. I mean, like in the United States, the first kind of nerd were the train club nerds where they would do the foliage and they would do all the electric stuff. So anything that's dealing with sort of uh, tinkering and uh, from electronics to anything that's kind of detail oriented, uh, people get kind of get nerdy about. Um, and I, I, that's one thing I really like about this documentary is just it, that it shows just a wider spectrum of just not just the typical otaku nerd that mm-hmm. we kind of have in our mindset, but there is a spectrum to, to it from electronics to anime to games uh, to uh, I would have liked them to cover something like uh, idols or uh, music nerds. I think that, that would maybe, have been interesting. That would have been interesting, but maybe it was a different, uh, because this documentary was made in like 2005, 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was a uh, idol culture wasn't as uh, wide, wider, as in as prominent, or they couldn't yeah. make an agreement with somebody. Um, but yeah, I would have liked to see. Like it's exploded uh, more over the past decade. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would have liked something to cover uh, kind of idle otaku nerds because that I see kind of that as another spectrum, part mm-hmm. of the spectrum. I think there's only so much they could do with. Uh, I think the focus being on just seven people, they tried to get sort of a. I don't think you could in just forty five minutes. This documentary is very short, by the way. It is only about forty five minutes. I don't think they could kind of capture mm-hmm. everything about Akihabara in such a short amount of time. And I think, sure. I don't know where the narration fits in in the original, because the what we watched was a, was a like, translation that had been brought over here and put on DVD um, a year later. So I don't know how the Japanese narrator would have sounded, if it would have had that sort of, like, Nat Geo, David Attenborough sound, or if it would have uh, done better because they also instead of uh, just having subtitles for the for the people interviewed they have people dub over them which is very awkward um, yeah, I, think that's, I did I, not like that and it also didn't help that the audio wasn't super great so I feel like if they would have just added subtitles like if they would have just let the people spoke Japanese and put subtitles over the program it would have been much better <laughs> Well, I yeah. think that's also the the time period of when this was made because Fair. Um, for the for the longest time people were like subtitles that's going to scare everybody away, and uh, even now like with the recent win of Parasite, the watch first... Parasite twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 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 first subtitled film to win Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, it's it takes a while for people to kind of get used to it because we want to hear things in our natural language. And I think when they brought it over, they were thinking if we if we dub over everything, people will be more willing to watch this than subtitled. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's just kind of bad when uh, the the person speaking has a completely different inflection and sort of nuance mm-hmm. to their voice than the person dubbing them over, and mm-hmm. it kind of makes them sound like a cartoon character. Um, it's, it's really weird. I, I do not like the, the dubbing and that's generally something I do not appreciate in documentary film, uh, especially. When Motohara was going to meet his friend for, uh, karaoke, I was laughing because it was very like, 
the dubbing was more joyous than I think his actual voice was. It was like, where are you right now? Oh, karaoke? Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, nobody's, no, no one talks like that. That's and like... then the, he in Japanese is like, oh, where are you? Karaoke? Okay. And okay, it's sort of yeah. very natural. And it's like, okay, let's go. Let's go to karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's my demo reel. If I'm not in an anime by next year. I don't want point? to. I don't want to jump on the the Motohara like defense train at all. But I do love <laughs> when they're like, "Do you have a girlfriend?" He's just like, "No, I don't want to talk about it." And they're like, "No, I don't want to talk about it." And they're like, "He's upset." I'm like, "He doesn't seem that upset." I mean, yeah, he <laughs> calm didn't. Down. He didn't seem angry. He seemed just kind of annoyed. I will say he was very sharply dressed for that time. I loved his blazer. Um, yeah. Very, very sort of like uh, Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> yeah, no, he looked like he just walked out of Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did. That's the that's the sequel documentary, Otaku Yakuza. Um, and and I wonder, like I said, I feel like we should save him for last because there's a lot to unpack. But like, he just looked like a normal guy. Like he looked like he took care of himself, like and things like that. So it is probably just. For lack of trying like he's so enveloped in like oh no all my anime girl posters everything's so perfect how could i ever talk to a real person um i don't know and that's that's one thing i i mean not to we, we will save him for last but one yeah. thing i really want to talk about with him and kind of with all of these subjects is despite the goofy narration and and dubbing um the documentary itself i would you know, go so far as to say probably in its original form, is relatively nuanced. You know, as much as yeah. Motohara is someone who has complicated issues, they're never like, look at this gross, disgusting nerd and laugh at him. It's like, this yeah. is a complicated person who has issues, but also hope, maybe. We, we hope for the best for all of these people in the end. Exactly, and I feel like if this was something that had been made by us, it would have been like an MTV-esque thing where it was like trying to kind of gross you out with that person's lifestyle like i mean at the end of the day he's not really doing anything problematic i hope like i'm i mostly feel bad for him because like it doesn't seem like other than his one friend he's really making any human connections but i feel like if this was you know an american-based production they'd be like and children don't be like this weirdo you'll have no one to talk to except your body pillow that you spent two hundred dollars on <laughs> I mean, I don't feel like the, the documentary doesn't flat out have that angle, uh, yes. you know, in a very American way. But I think, I mean, it definitely goes down that path. Uh, I don't believe for a second that the Motohara in reality is nearly as depressive as the one we see in the documentary. I'm sure mm -hmm. he does you know, talk mm -hmm. to more people than just his like one or two karaoke friends. But it definitely did sort of go with the angle, focus on the fact that he's obsessed with, uh, you know, pretty girls. And yeah. they made a point to show that he spent all that money on that body pillow. Yeah. And was wanting to spend twice as much on that one figure. Uh, so it, they were definitely going for a a sensationalist angle with this guy. Mm -hmm. uh, that may yeah. or may not be fair, but I mean, that's the point of the documentary to show all these various subcultures. So, yeah. And also within Japan, like o o otaku type people aren't like they're they're not looked upon as as good they're looked down they're look they're looked down upon like seen yeah. as like you're 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 like we'd rather you be more productive with your life 
Yeah. Well, I, I would say that perception is changing, you know, uh, from a variety of factors uh, influencing that. We have, like, the cool Japan, this constant marketing of Japan for tourists and using anime, manga, video games, popular culture, technology as part of that. Um, like, I, I, I think the, otaku, the term otaku has has shifted and i really i'm one of those people that thinks we need to kind of move past the negative connotation because mm. it, it's such a common thing like oh someone calls himself an american person calls himself an otaku and then like oh that's a bad word in japan it's like well no it's more complicated than that and the term has evolved over time the same way terms here do um i think at the point when this documentary was made yes it would have because again 2005 it would have very much have been something embarrassing and stifling um but i think now the perception has changed especially when you talk about productivity otaku analysis it's like well you can use that like obsessive manic interest into something productive like they can do something if we just sort of channel it in some mm. ways, is what I'm seeing a lot of articles talking about now. So I did some research a while back ago, and the whole reason that word ever got a negative connotation in the first place was because of a criminal who was kidnapping, assaulting, and killing little girls. And they happened to find adult material in his home portraying those exact acts, and they tried to pin... Um, like, those things together, like, as the causation of why he was doing that. And, I mean, the guy, obviously, is already, like, bad anyway if he's going to do things like that. But um, because of him identifying as an otaku, essentially, like, people were describing him that way. That's where the negative connotation came from back in, like, the 90s, like, the early 90s, late 80s. Right. Um, this is This is really getting into, like... A huge discussion on the term and i really i'm excited i'm hoping to get uh my friend lawrence on the podcast because he literally did his doctoral thesis on otaku culture and like the the history of the term so um mm-hmm. but yes that is and it is something where i think even before that i think throughout human history any kind of people who have been loners or have been eccentric which i would think any person who is an otaku is at least slightly centric i even count myself among that like, it has always been othered and out and put to the, the fringes. So I think no matter, it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't mm-hmm. thing. Um, and before otaku, you know, the term was maniac. And they kind yeah. of bring that up. And, like, there's always been these shifting identities around um, technology, the consumption of popular media, uh, the, the pursuit of hobbies that are seen as non-productive or as... Uh, fringe or eccentric i mean even overclockers who are fascinating people um and who you know are otaku in the in the broad sense of the term of people with obsessive interests um the things they are doing are not necessarily productive i'm sure there that something productive could be found in their research in this obsessive need to um create fast processing obviously but they're this hobby is something it's not tennis it's not you know uh <laughs> but i'm violin. sure there are tennis otaku <laughs> i mean that's the thing is is i'm of the belief that anyone who has an obsessive interest in something falls under the umbrella 
and the otaku as a loan word here is anime fan but in general i would say that as a pan cultural phenomenon otaku is any person who has a deep devoted interest to singular topics mm. yeah and i i mean i don't personally call myself that because i feel like instead of one whole thing i i'm very passionate about a lot of things but I feel like back when you would hear this word 10 years ago, you would just imagine somebody like frothing over the mouth, like at the mouth over the sight of like anything anime. And, you know, that's all that person talked about. Like you knew a person like that in middle school or like they thought they were, I don't know, uh, Sakura from Naruto in real life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I now, hate to break it to you, but if you did not know someone like that in middle school, then you were that person you. in middle school. <laughs> Um, but now it's just kind of, I feel like that's calmed down. I don't know. I feel like I kind of checked out of this conversation for just a well, slight yeah, moment. No, I mean, but, I agree well, completely. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely yeah, been what, because the anime is more, uh, been more proliferated, I guess, uh, you know, more mm -hmm. so even than 10 years, like it's never really been that much of a, you know, a niche thing, not for several decades now. But I feel like even now it's just more, it's so much more easily accessible that it's not even that weird other thing as much anymore. Right. Yeah, that's that's the thing with all kind of nerd, geek, otaku type things is they've become more and more mainstream yeah. as, as time has gone on. Whether that be anime, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, American comic books, uh, they've just become more, because they've become more widely known they've become more accessible and become more widely accepted by the general culture mm -hmm. and i i want to reiterate that i really only use this label for myself in at like cons or in like conversations like this um i would never call myself that around any of my colleagues i try to <laughs> i try to hide my hobbies from them um so i guess i'm not fighting the good fight but i guess i like to use that term just because uh, I don't know, I guess because of the image of what a person who has these hobbies, like the image of that, I guess I try to, to confront that a little bit because it is so much around like cis straight men who have terrible grooming habits or who are socially awkward and instead it's like, well, what does it mean for me to use this term or to, to, to name myself as an anime fan by mm -hmm. in in how do i embody that and change that perception and and work with that and i guess that's why i i still do that and i like labels sometimes i'm terrible <laughs> i am a soup can labels help you understand i don't think there's inherently anything wrong with labels yeah. it's just like but you are more than that and i think that's where people fall into they're, they're like oh if i have yes. to call myself this i must act this way well, or I, that I, way we, we, we feel comfortable with the label because it gives us, in a sense, it gives us a definition. We like an idea of, like, this is what this means. And I would also say that when it comes to fandoms and nerd things, is it's becoming more and more, uh, it's become much more wider than just cis, uh, cis straight white guys um, as, as time has progressed. Yes. I mean, it always has. I mean, we cannot ever say that there have never been... We can't say there have never been women in these in these uh, subcultures. We can never say there have never been queer people. In, that we always have been. Um, it's just what the perception has been. Not as open. Been. It not wasn't as, as open. open. Yeah. And, and you, as you see, we only have one woman really covered in this documentary. And to my knowledge, at least none of the people interviewed are LGBTQ. So... 
Um, mm. There's still a perception, and I'm not also going to say that maybe the majority are are straight men. I won't say that either. Um, but I think that acknowledging other people in these groups kind of helps understand why people are attracted to these things. If we broaden our scope and see the full range of people who end up in these subcultures, it, it gives us a better idea of what they mean to them. Um, because I think so much of like the perception of why anime, manga, otaku culture, video games, etc., etc., mean is these are lonely, horny young men who just want to see like pretty girls in maid costumes, and that's not the always the attraction to games, manga, anime, exactly. technology. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh god when they showed that scene of those guys outside of the maid cafe and they were like "Ooh, they're yummy and i'm like i will shoot you on sight <laughs> no one no one uses that to describe people in like ever like if i heard somebody say that to me i'd be like oh no I, I wonder if that was just a bad transition of moe that's what i was kind of getting because yummy is you know yeah it's kind of gross yeah, maybe. Um, I couldn't hear the audio very well. Yeah. So I do wonder. That's a very good point. Um, but then they described it as like having a fetish for female characters. And I'm like, what are we talking about here? Because that's not really anything I've ever heard. Mm. Like, usually when people describe Moe, and like you said, it's probably just a mistranslation thing, but it's just like... You think of characters and like character designs that are just too sweet to even process, like like overly well, cutesy. No, I mean the yes. word moe is just like that feeling of passion you get for looking at something. I mean, it could be cute, like innocent cute, or it could be more you know something you're attracted to. It's definitely been mm-hmm. more used as sort of a catch-all for you know the doki doki feelings, I guess. And yeah, I, yeah, I've never heard it been translated as yummy, which was certainly mm-hmm. creepy. What's such a, that, it was certainly that made a me choice. physically cringe. <laughs> I was just like, oh no, 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 no. read stories of actual servers like at maid cafes and like actual japanese maid cafes not these fake things we run at anime conventions um anyway (laughs) and for the most part they all seem to like it but i just could not ever feel comfortable going to work and knowing that these guys and a lot of women go too so like don't get me wrong like i absolutely want to go and see what one's about because it looks like just a lot of fun um and knowing these guys were just gonna like objectify and sexualize me before I even before they even get through the door essentially. And the one guy was like, "Yeah, we like to pretend they're our girlfriends." And I was saying last night to Austin, I was like, "That's me, like me going to freaking Hooters." And the first server <laughs> I make eye contact with, I'm like, "You're coming home with me. You're my girlfriend now. Let's go." Like, yeah. that's it's just weird and it's kind of creepy. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that these women for the most part seem to enjoy the things that they do. And I'm really happy that she's like doing this for fun while she's pursuing her like 
lawyer education because I can imagine that's very stressful. And if she's having fun and that sustains her enough to be able to, you know, work while she's also in school, good for her. Like, I hope she graduated and got her degree. I do too. Yeah. I I was just going to say really quick, I was thinking the entire time I was like, she needs her own Magical Girl series. By day, she is Ichika, the lawyer student. And by night, she's the magical maid. I I was I thought her story was interesting. I felt a little sad for her because her the ending was kind of bittersweet of just like I I really I really enjoy working here and I want to keep working here and and move here and I and I just kept thinking of how in J- in Japan there's a very kind of ageist perspective of like oh if you're over a certain age you're like if you're over uh, twenty two you're super old so I would think yeah. like up to a certain age they would say you can no longer work here anymore you would think um i was also kind of bummed out to see that she was kind of just like shoved in a closet eating her lunch on her break Mm. i'm like why are there not why is there not a break room here i don't know that kind of stuck out to me i'm going to i'm going to venture to say that like most shops in japan it's probably very small and i remember the, the two weeks that I worked at a Sally Beauty, I had to eat in a tiny room like that. So it oh, might just no. be, yeah, it, that might just be how it is. Um, but one thing I found in, uh, with everything, it, you yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, look at that tiny little stall that uh, Koichi had to had to stay in, where he like he yeah. had to crawl under the desk to get to it. Um, yeah. But one thing that uh. struck me about Ichika is. We were talking about how it would have been nice if they would have followed someone who has, who, you know, went to Mandarake and bought, like, Ikiman goods. But she, she <laughs> yeah. does mention, she's like, oh, I really loved games, so I've always wanted to come here, but I grew up in a rural area and I couldn't come here by myself. I like staying here. I like, like, she kind of hints at, or at least kind of talks about that she has interests that would have, that might be close to what we see in Motohara, but... Yeah. They focus so much on the maid part, and I would have liked to see, like, you know, it must be more than that, because she mentions games and, and loving living in Aki, in Akihabara, so, you mm-hmm. know, maybe maybe she is a law student and a maid uh, cafe worker, <laughs> and she also, like, loves video games or anime, and this is a way of, of, you know, fulfilling that need, and I feel like, again, a three-dimensional person, a lawyer, or studying, someone studying to... to uh, be a lawyer and then working in a, not only the service industry but a performative service right. industry and then where also... you have to be like outgoing <laughs> and like those those maids i don't know like if you guys have watched um they don't really allow filming in most of those but when they can like they're up on stage doing dances they're acting they're doing skits they're interacting individually um and tailoring their experience to every single person that they're um serving and that's kind of why i found such a problem with the guys being like oh that's my girlfriend i'm like no no she's playing a character she doesn't love you but regardless like like you said it's a very performative job so to see you know somebody being lumped in in this like stereotype being so outgoing and she seems like a really kind person and obviously has to be good with people um it's interesting 
Yeah, I feel like Ichika, there was just, I could have watched an entire documentary about her, and I feel like there was so much more (laughs) to flesh out, and I guess that's why I mentioned, like, she mentions her interest in games. I was like, we we see her, only her professional side, and her, like, studying to be a lawyer and working at the cafe, we don't really see her sort of off the clock, not in school, and, like, she might not have much time for that, but I feel like that would have been something to bring more dimension to her story and i i was aching for that when she started talking about like i like playing soccer awards because there's (laughs) interpersonal relationships and i don't have those in real life i was like oh honey because that was me like like four years ago when persona 5 came out and i was in such a bad depressive episode and i was like these are my friends now (laughs) um so i can like i have empathy for that that's why i try not to judge these people too hard like i really truly have empathy for that like feeling like you're connecting to these characters i mean i know they're written that way they're written to be enticing and perfect and like idealized and friendly but like when you're in a bad place that really is hard not to do her with her i really like she talked about communication and really like enjoying the experiences there because of being able to communicate with other people and uh you know i, I it, it's pretty easy to think of you know akiba geeks being more like motohara the the fanatic sort of thing but to see someone mm-hmm. who's more normal still enjoy these uh these hobbies you know like video games and anime i i, I agree but seeing more of her and Maybe even exploring more of those type of people would be a good take as well. I think it's interesting, too, that um, when they talk about... the Sort of disconnect is what I'm trying to get at. Um, When you mentioned that these girls... I mean, I'm sure that there are some of them that really enjoy working at the cafe, but, like, there's this disconnect between the the joy in performance and in dress-up and in um doing things like that and then the disconnect mm-hmm. between what certain customers are there for the, the salaciousness like it, it's kind of like you know it makes me think of like when people hit on disney princesses at like disney parks or stuff like oh, yikes. Uh, yeah. like yeah i mean it's such a weird like you see these girls and i'm sure there are some things they do not enjoy doing and do not want to do and i'm sure there are times where they these guys say things that they wish they could be like no that's inappropriate and they have to smile and go along with it and i'm sure there's also parts where they enjoy the costume where they enjoy the guests who aren't uncomfortable or they enjoy you know just getting to work with people or performing uh, doing the skits singing dancing um i'm sure a lot of them uh, also might be acting students like that's a very common thing here is like theater students graduate and they go work at disney or they go work somewhere where they have to put on an outfit and do performance until they get on yeah. like a regular stage um so yeah i think we're all we all just wish the best for ichika i hope she got her law degree i hope she's successful Me too. <laughs> <laughs> i really want to know i hope she yeah i i hope all of her hard work paid off
And now we're going to move on to the next subject of the documentary. Uh, Shimayama Koichi, who is the owner of an electronic parts store in Akihabara that his family has been running for over 50 years. And he's sort of a look into the early side of the area when it was more of a, a place for electronics and uh, technological consumer goods. And he it's a really interesting look into someone who's sort of been in the area sort of since it began quote unquote um what did you guys think of that i thought it was very charming i i wanted to know how were they able to cram all the stuff he was selling in that tiny of a space and did he have back problems because uh <laughs> he just crouching having to be in that tiny space where it seemed like he had to basically be there on his knees or uh, in a crouching position 24 7 uh, he has to have some back problems because uh, during one part of the documentary he's like I really get to enjoy when I go out for my lunch break and get to stand straight up and I get to walk <laughs> around uh, but I, I kind of loved the the old uh, style of it because he was probably selling like ham radio parts uh, or kind of uh, early uh, kind of small electronic uh electronic devices that people can kind of goof around with uh, whether that be kind of a uh, led lighting or um something in the equivalent of like a raspberry pi that is pretty common here in the states mm -hmm. um uh, so i was just amazed with just the amount of stuff he was selling in that tiny space how do you manage that and do you have back problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really funny to see well funny in a in a not in a ha-ha way, but in a sort of hmm way, when you see him bend down and crawl up under the the desk in the stall to get to his, his sort of seat where he, you know, helps people. And then apparently mm -hmm. his mom is still helping him. And that's, it, it's just so fascinating. Like, again, I could watch an entire documentary about him and their life and, you know, the grueling hours and everything I'm sure that goes into running like a tiny stall in japan like that well the it's that kind of uh, relates to uh cultural differences of just in the in japan and in 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 more um uh asian-based countries it's more uh community-based uh focus where you you don't look at yourself first you look at how can we take care of the family and mm -hmm. they they have that line of uh he i think he was working somewhere else um when his dad died in like 1979 and he had to take over the business and he hated it at first but as time went on he grew to really enjoy it um and and if if, if he was based here in the united states he probably would have said uh, screw this i'm gonna go do what i want to do and i'm not going to uh run this old family business uh so uh, I also one other comment that he made that I was interested I think I would like a kind of a 10 years later is they talk about this tower that's being built called Dai Dio Tower which was uh, I think they kind of confirmed it was like a medical facility and it was going to have a bunch of other um, aspects to it and they said like once we build this tower it's going to uh, change Akihabara and we don't know uh, what's the how's it going to be because they were saying like at first Akihabara was a more small kind of local based area but now we're going to have uh 
skyscrapers with anime characters on it selling the latest mm-hmm. goods. So Oh, is that the the one guy in the uh part and then the other guy was like talking about how Oh god, what how I, say? how um, how Akihabara was going to change basically. Right. And then the other guy was just like so they were trying to make it Epcot, essentially. And then the other guy was like, we're not going to make this more women and family friendly because then nobody will show up. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's like the, it's like a local, he's like the local mayor, part of like the, the, the count, the, the council. And they yeah. were doing, our, they were like, doing, are you sure? They, you they were sure, doing like a, mark? they were doing a, like a rice, uh, a rice beating, they were beating down rice and it was a rice festival. They were trying to get mm-hmm. like the families and younger children involved, and uh, I was a bit surprised by his comments because Akihabara, for the longest time, has been known as like a, a technology hub before uh, kind of anime and manga took hold. So mm-hmm. I was I was a bit surprised at him just complaining. I'm just with all this uh, anime and manga stuff. How are we ever going to get the we're not going to get a uh, local community involved. It's just going to be dealing with all these people who are going to want anime, manga, and electronics. That was really okay. kind of depressing. I, I really felt for them because it also, it feels kind of like nerd gentrification. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe it's just because I would be a tourist if I went to Japan, but if I were to go somewhere and see like, a traditional mochi pounding happening and them doing it and and selling it. I would I would be fascinated. I would go. And I'd check lose it my out. mind. I'd be like, yeah. oh damn, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> you're just but, you're just there, like waiting for delicious mochi, and then turning away and looking at all these sad nerdy men lining up at the maid cafe. But but oh, then gosh. but then you could but then you could argue of just like, well, you have all these uh ignorant tourists coming into the area you could take advantage of that and make a problem yeah good, i mean it's a complicated issue and it, it you know i wish again there's so much that i wish they would have done in the documentary but i also get that it had 45 minutes to do it um mm-hmm. i would have liked to have heard more from the we don't even learn her name the woman at the mochi pounding ceremony because she's like you know yeah they only care about role-playing games and cafes and you know no one's actually sitting down and remembering what this area used to be like before it became electric town yeah these damn kids and their anime they need to go outside and read a book (laughs) read a book (laughs) um i i loved how sweet that that man seemed like when the little boy and like the first little boy and his grandmother i think walked Mm -hmm. up and she was like oh he's doing this science project for third grade and like without skipping a beat the shop owner was just like oh yeah you'll need this and this and that like he's done that a million times before like he looked very confident in what he was doing so i wonder now to this day if that shop is still open I think it said that he was maybe forty or fifty something, so he would be a little up there um, in his late fifties or early sixties, I guess, if he's still with us. That's such a dark yeah. thing to say. That, that's that's <laughs> young for the that's young for Japanese. Japanese typically have a long, a long life. I mean, mm-hmm. the the voice of uh, of Luffy is like in her uh, mid sixties. The voice God. of Goku's in her eighties. We oh pr- lord <laughs> protect her at all costs at all costs <laughs> tobias you seem to be the one who kind of had the most to say about you and bill the most to say about the overclockers you want to sort of lead us 
Yeah, so uh, with this one in particular, I don't know if overclocking still was much a part of the hobby uh, for gamers as it was in the past or has been in the past, but it's simply just um, breaking the instructions used for your CPU so it runs faster, but also a lot more hot. So it's kind of a uh, something you have to pay more attention to how the system runs. It's kind of a you know brief overview of, of what that is. So here we have this uh, this hobby where they're pushing it to the limit to see the thing gets a world record for the best processing speed. And we if you look at your computer, it's just this box is sitting there that you know maybe if you're fancy you've got some RGB lights or whatever. But to see the computers that they've got here. It's just a very different beast. A bunch of parts sort of cobbled together. They've got a funnel they're pouring liquid nitrogen into and dry ice into, uh, praying that it doesn't crash completely and give them the blue screen of death. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see that, this behemoth they've created uh, out of computer parts, uh, all for being able to run a single uh, you know, render as fast as possible. And when you look at the render, the little video they play as we watch, it, it looks pretty basic. <laughs> it's definitely something like PS2 era graphics now. But uh, yeah, again, just sort of trying to do it the best they had at the time. And you can sort of see the processors they use. I think I saw a copyright date of 2001 on one. Uh, so it's certainly dated technology at this point. Uh, but just to see how enthused they were with this, again, not to bring it back to like the anime nerds, but to see them more uh, passively invested in their hobbies versus these guys that have, that have built these creations and are just pushing to get the world record and sort of struggling against each other and fighting against each other. Uh, it was kind of refreshing in that aspect. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was funny that um, he was dealing with computer parts because when i think of japan i don't uh, at the time i would think because of uh, space uh spatial reasons that dealing with computers would be a, a very small niche hobby because if you think about it it's 2004 2005 um this is before tablets this is before uh lap- laptops became um as commonplace yeah. and so you're dealing with more a desktop uh type setup which in in Japan, uh, I would think would be kind of tough with a uh, lack of space you would have, uh, and all with and also just being that um, using a PC uh, for something like uh, gaming wasn't as common at the time. It makes me kind of think of uh, like the whole drift racing thing in Japan, where you got these, uh, you know, these Hondas that are sort of tricked out uh, specifically for racing, and they've got all these weird modifications. It's kind of like that, but nerdy as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say this is probably one of my favorite segments. One, yeah, one of my favorite segments of the documentary. Um, I did not know what an overclocker was until I watched this. Um, and I wonder if that's still a thing people do because our computer parts and like even our phones are way more advanced now. Mm, yeah. um, so I wonder, I guess the modern day equivalent equivalent is like people speed running games. <laughs> um, oh. But just seeing those guys go and buy all those parts and get joy out of just doing something so simple with each other um i feel kind of feel that way about 
like why I switched over into building model kits now because I feel like when I put my money into it, I'm getting my money back because I have to take the time to put it together and it's like not just unboxing um, a figure and putting it on my shelf as decor and then it just sits there and sits there and you know nothing wrong with that but um, it's on me it's all about the uh, journey not just the destination right and I loved how they focused on all those guys getting together like I mentioned earlier because I I think that's fun when people are into the same thing you are and being able to um kind of compare and contrast what you've learned and find new uh tips and how to get things done faster make a podcast um, about it make a podcast about it um like for instance with my model kits like i've joined a couple facebook groups and like i get really proud whenever i've done these like really baby entry level things and i'm like hey you know look at this this is only the third or fourth one i've ever built how do i you know do xyz and i expected all these people building like thousand piece gundams to be like wow your baby um and make fun of me but instead you know people are like oh that's great that looks good and i had two or three people message me to be like you know if you're having trouble with this you should try this next time and i feel like i feel like that's what this whole space and idea of like otakudom and like fandom and things in general should be is people like coming together and being social and making it fun and making it a good place and like um just fun and good and not some kind of self-created fantasy um because that's really not healthy and i also love how they made it a point to show this guy had a wife and like had just gotten married not that long ago um and his wife was like i don't understand but he enjoys it so that's fine um and i feel like I just feel like that's a good thing is like to be supportive of your partner or your friends, even if you don't understand their hobby, you know, as long as they're not doing anything illegal, harmful, or, you know, spending all their grocery money and living money for the month, like what's the harm in supporting them if they're doing their hobby in a way that's social and healthy for them to participate in. I didn't like when they said he finally got married at 35. I'm like, respect the journey. Like... <laughs> I, I mean they look happy they they do look very happy and i thought it was really cool that she was a violinist and she looked like a very like like i have my stuff together type of woman and um i don't know Lou. i think that is i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to point out because i feel like some people if they're not married by like 25 they're like oh my god my life's ruined and no one's ever gonna marry me now because i'm old and blah 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 so i don't I didn't necessarily take that as a bad thing, but I guess I could see how that would be read that way. Didn't they say that? Yeah, that's that, how I, I kind of felt the narration was kind of, because, I don't know, the lady who narrates the documentary just sounds so fed up shady. being there. <laughs> shady. That's a good way of putting it. I'm not sure <laughs> if it was like, you know, if in the original it was neutral, like, you know, oh, he got married at 35, you know, not too long ago to his wife as a violinist, as opposed to, he got married at 35. At 35. He's an ancient, um, ancient man. And this imagine... woman begrudgingly married him. I imagine the Japanese narration is very, like, matter-of-fact and straight to the point, whereas, like, yeah, this, like, British, question mark, lady is just, like, these weirdos. This it, man got married at 35. It, she sounded like uh, Brina Palencia 
who's an American voice actress, but I, I, mm-hmm. I looked it up. It's not her, but it sounds just like Brina Palencia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, just again, that narrator was very annoying, very David Attenborough, like, what is the Far East Orientalism? <laughs> Uh, just, just kind of annoying, but uh, back to our overclocker. Um, I, I, like you said, Tori, I, I liked that, uh, he had his hobby, but it seemed like he had other aspects about, uh, his life, whether that be, uh, his, uh, marriage or hanging out with friends and, uh, just enjoying, uh, the same things and just kind of being more outgoing. Mm-hmm. He I, seems I, very balanced. Like he's not letting it completely consume his life. Like he's active enough in it to, you know, want to get this done, want to keep his record, wants to beat his record and like buy these parts and everything. But he seems like whenever his wife's like, okay, honey, let's go out to dinner. He's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> he's, they were very charming. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that she is a violinist because that's something that takes a lot of time and dedication too, uh, especially yeah. at a professional level. So it kind of shows that, you know, you know, they're different, but like personalities, you know, find each other. Yeah. I wonder if he ever goes while she's practicing the violin and is like, I don't know what you're doing, but I support you the same way she does. <laughs> I love and support you. Yes. <laughs> what is this brown thing? I don't understand. <laughs> How do you overclock this? <laughs> How do you overclock this? Uh, you, you play so the you... Orange Blossom special. As we mentioned before, we have kind of a celebrity in the documentary. Ryushikyo. Uh, Ryush, uh, how do you? It's I, Ryukishi. I have, t- or no, it's O zero because that's that's a zero, not an. I've taken two semesters of Japanese, um, <laughs> and I can't read this very basic name. Um, or as the documentary calls him, Dragon Knight 07, who is the independent creator of the Higurashi series. And since Tori knows all about that, I'm going to let them mm-hmm, take over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I started reading through the comments before I watched this. And someone was like, oh my god, the Higurashi guy. That's the Higurashi guy. Why is the Higurashi guy here? But um, it is a big deal because they start talking about um, kind of how, like I mentioned earlier, this was a creator's... um, Hold on, I had a good note on this. Where did I put it? Um, Is it a creator space? Maker space? Yeah, like um, a maker's creator space. um, And he put his first game together basically all by himself with a little bit of help from his family. He did the art. Um, he did the music. He did the writing, the graphics. Oh, the graphics. Um, <laughs> he published it himself and um, it kind of just blew up. His very his game before that was not as successful, um, but it was really cool seeing like the vintage Higurashi like advertisements and um, 
like the the art books and the manga and things like that and he's a very fascinating guy and he talked about how um at the beginning of his life like his dad was into ham radios i think that was a very popular thing back then in japan i can't remember if it was ham radios or something else and he said yeah my dad made me wait outside until he was done because he just told me that i got in the way (laughs) (laughs) um he banned video games and was not allowed to play them so seeing that kind of contrast between like not being allowed to having several successful games um which his family helps him in like his his mom moderates his comments like i mentioned earlier which is precious um his dad i believe helps him write and his dad was talking about how um you know i went from being like no games to researching how much gas it would take to blow up a classroom (laughs) um and his brother, I believe, did something as well, but I forgot to... Um, He's a programmer. Mark. Yes, thank you. His dad, or not his dad, his brother is the programmer for the games. And just kind of seeing them work together is very sweet and very wholesome. And I enjoy that very much. And they kind of delved into Comic Kid as well. And seeing more about... Um, you know, people coming together, bringing all this fan work in, and from the people I know who have been to Comic It and continuously go to Comic It, it's very scary. Um, there's thousands and thousands of people, shoulder to shoulder traffic, barely moving, um, stuff sells out before you can even make it to the tables, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think the idea of one giant artist alley essentially versus going to a convention with just like up like uh uh upcharged imported goods is really exciting um and i think it would help and i noticed it's a thing that's like popular here but i i really wish that we could break like the adult connotation with dojinchi because it literally just means a self-published work like if i were yeah like if i were to like self-publish a book right now that would be considered a doujin like the uh toho like rearrange albums where fans will like take a character song put lyrics to it change the composition like those albums are doujin um and i don't know i wish we could kind of come away from that but i don't know the idea of a giant like artist alley sounds so intriguing um i would like to see this man do more interviews because apparently he doesn't do a lot so the fact that they got him for this documentary because he was kind of a big deal at the time was really fun um but yeah i don't know it just made me so happy to see how his family's perspective had changed over the years too as the culture in the area changed to help their son pretty much like make a name for himself and be successful they they probably also saw the paycheck he got from the first uh, from the sales of the first oh, yeah. game and <laughs> said like oh this is where the real money's at why don't we get in on this business <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah. uh, I think it was interesting too because this came out before the anime for Higarashi yeah right before the anime to the point where they don't even call it Higarashi uh, in this translation they call it Cicada Season yes. Like I, I had no no clue about this guy. I've only you know seen the first season of the anime, but then they as soon as they mentioned, oh, you made a game called Cicada Season, and then they show the you know the art 
the uh, the very basic at least compared to the anime art it's like oh oh okay this is gonna be an interesting documentary yeah um also fun fact his pen name's actually inspired by uh final fantasy really yes hmm. ryukishi is the term for dragoon Oh, and okay. seven is the is a word pun uh for lena which is something to do with final fantasy V. yeah that's that's the yeah, one that focuses it's... on all the job systems people love the, the, the mechanics well, of it lena well, is a character oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Lena, yeah, yeah. so they what, what is that like ray ray nana maybe yeah ray nana so lena yeah interesting i yeah i didn't know that i just thought he was one of those people that was like well this sounds cool (laughs) uh but um yeah i don't know it's like i feel like if you put your passion into doing things like people can also receive enjoyment from those things because uh i mean i i really like the writing of higurashi i think it's a great story um you know some of his other works i'm just like okay these are fine but uh i i think it's cool for him to have been so passionate with like what he was doing to push to make his own thing um also by higurashi on steam hashtag not sponsored (laughs) and uh get hyped for that higurashi uh, oh god yeah. anime the the remake of anime that's coming soon yep hopefully it's good and not like that one ova <laughs> uh hopefully it'll have a better dub <laughs> mm. but yeah to kind of backtrack a bit talking about like the comic head and doujinshi culture uh, i think that is that's very interesting i'm glad that it was uh talked about to some degree here you've mm-hmm. got you know like this you've got zoom and toho which are you know th- th- these are all things that sort of debuted at comic head uh, you've got these people that work on anime and illustrators that have their own booths that comic out as well, selling their own fan works. Uh, so it's when we think of artist alleys here, it's um, it's never really the draw exactly for these events in the same way mm-hmm. that comic head is specifically. And because our cons are so scattered throughout this this very large country of ours, it's it's hard to find one that's the must go to event like comic head. Uh, so I think yeah. that is something that I do miss in our events. I would totally, I would love to go to Comica, but like you mentioned, wall-to-wall traffic <laughs> seems yeah. a, little, a little too much. And it's it's crazy to me how, like, these local, I mean, I'm sure they come from all over to go, but, like, these artists and these, like, writers, novelists even, because um, that's how a lot of, like, light novels get their start is from Comica, but, like, they get such a following that's really wild to me like you know you go to the artist alley and you might see one or two artists that have a crap ton of online followers but it's not like a huge chunk of what makes up the artist alley versus comic kit where you know there's people multiple people with hundreds of thousands of followers for their work comic is one of those things i would love to do once in my life to say that i've done it but much Mm -hmm. like san diego comic-con i did it i've said that i've done it and I do not know if I would be able to do it again because it was I so it in, much. Yeah, I love it in theory, but not in practice. Yes. Um, I kind of like our small little dog and pony show anime cons where I can go and maybe there's one or two artists where I know them online and then the rest is like, chill. Yeah. 
But I think it's very important to point out support artists. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're paying twice as much for all that crap in the dealer's room. You could at least support a small local vendor in their wares. Mm-hmm. I always kind of appreciate the artists I see here that do zines and sell zines at their table uh, rather than just prints. You, know, you can get a print of whatever the anime du jour of the season is and whatever waifu yeah. you want, which is, you see that everywhere. And eh, I mean, that's not like their character. Their their styles you know, may be good, and if I feel like I appreciate that character, I'll buy. But I think what's really interesting is to see the original stuff, like, like zines or more stuff that's sort of out there compared to what we normally see. And that, I think that's something that Comic Ed excels in. Where you're not really buying prints like an artist teller, you're buying books themselves, uh, or various things like like Higurashi, this guy's fan made game. And even now, well, we've entered an age where people have like giveaways, and so, they're almost like going to like an Ichiban Kuji or something. Like, oh, if you buy this book and you're like the one hundredth customer, or you're the first ten customers, you will get like a keychain I had made too, or something like that. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's so wild to go into an artist alley now and it's full of the stuff that looks like it could be professionally made. So do we want to move on to the main event? Oh. <laughs> the main event. Wow. Sure. I feel so bad because we're basically talking about a real person who exists in our world right now. <laughs> and we're going to pick apart <laughs> his life in 2005. I can't imagine if someone like were to discuss what I was like in 2005. <laughs> um. So I have a lot of notes on this. <laughs> Let me start and then please interrupt me if you guys have an interjection because I went hard on this man and I feel really bad, but I'm so sorry. Um, Okay, so this is all really... Give me one moment. Let me like like, reorganize my notes really quick. In this corner, Tori. And the other corner, <laughs> the blue angel. <laughs> the blue angel. Hey, that artist is actually really famous. She's a pretty big deal. She's done a lot of art for visual novels. Um, anyway, also all this stuff this guy keeps buying is from Shuffle. And I'm just like, could we have not picked a better like something? <laughs> um, anyway, okay. So, <sighs> all right. So I have a lot of notes about this guy because I feel like this part was kind of depressing. Like there there were some things that he did that I agreed with or I thought were interesting. But the moment he woke up to an alarm clock of some <laughs> girl, I don't know, I, I guess Shuffle, because like everything he bought was from Shuffle. Um, is saying something to the effect of like, get up, get out of bed. And then he sits up and you just see like ceiling to floor, like posters of everything. And my my room used to be decorated that way, like 
like my old room so no shame like it's easier to just tack up a bunch of posters than it is to like frame prints and pictures and hang them up but i would be afraid to change in there i'd be like please stop looking at me (laughs) ma'am i i would have to go into another room i feel like this guy has just put himself in so much of a bubble of like a fantasy world and like i said before it shows him talking to a few other people but i would be interested to see who else he interacts with and from what i could see like everything he had hanging on his wall that i recognized was either a harem slice of life romance something so shows where you know the main character is obviously like the best thing ever and like every girl's flinging herself at him when he's really probably not that great of a person um and i feel like there's a lot to unpack with that alone <laughs> Tor- tori was there any things from like key visual novels because i based on what i saw on the wall they all looked like key visual novel art uh, they did not not that i could recognize and i've seen pretty much everything they like the anime adaptations of everything they've done so i'm really not quite sure um something was like what was that one called uh we without wings i looked into that one and that's another like visual novel adaptation that is basically just a harem i've never heard of it i googled Mm. it it doesn't look great um there's also like multiple uh instances in that of like obviously young characters being put into like children characters being put into very like not great situations so i'm just Mm -hmm. anyway that's neither here nor there but um i know sully said something earlier about the guy getting kind of annoyed when the interviewer was asking him about having a real girlfriend and he was like don't worry about it um but then later on, he makes the comment of like, I'm going to find a real live girlfriend like she's some kind of specimen. <laughs> and I'm sure it's just like a translation thing. But um, and I just kept thinking, like, you know, he looks like a young man that relatively takes care of himself and dresses nice. So I'm sure if he tried, like, it's not if he went outside out and read a book. <laughs> If he went outside and read a book and stopped, like, praying to anime girl posters, like, it would be fine. Um, and, you know, I they show the stuff of him going into, like, a secondhand store. And he's looking at the figure of the character from Shuffle. Uh, <laughs> which he spent, two, like, almost two, almost $300 on. Um, and that was back in 2005 money (laughs) um but when he was looking at that figure he was doing things that i do whenever i pick up a figure at an anime convention and i'm like oh you know the paint job looks really good on this one compared to the other one and i really like how these details are sculpted and this artist put a lot of effort and i think really captured the personality of his character well like you know if i'm gonna spend money on something like that that's just gonna sit on my shelf forever as a dust collector like why wouldn't i want it to look good um but then he goes into another shop and spends like another three hundred dollars on a body pillow from shuffle (laughs) um and you know there's nothing 
there's nothing wrong with that, I think, like, budgeting out money. Like, I have some figurines on my shelf that are pretty expensive, but those did not come at the cost of me being like, I can't eat this month or I can't put gas in my car. Um, you know, even if there's a really good deal on a piece that I want to put into my collection, if I feel like I cannot feasibly spend the money on it, I'm not gonna do it. It's gonna be there. I can buy it later. Mm. Um... And then he makes a comment. He's like, you know, honestly, I'm a little embarrassed of my hobby. And my note just says, then stop, go home. Don't buy weird things. Um, but like, I can kind of relate to that too. Like, you know, 10 years ago when people were still bullying people for liking anime, it's just not such a, wasn't such a mainstream thing now. Like if I was going into certain places and I was wearing an anime shirt, I would like zip up my jacket or try not to talk to people. Like I can kind of understand that. Um, but obviously it's much, much different now. There's um, that, that shock of recognition. Yeah. Um, mm. Do you guys want to interject anything? Because I still have two more paragraphs. <laughs> you're, you're forgetting my favorite bit from the narrator is that he says, they say that his his uh, uh, money he needs to spend for living expenses is only 850 yen a month. Uh, well, yeah. dollars. dollars I mean. right, sorry, they convert they, it to dollars. $850 a month. Yes. Uh, which, which seems... Uh, kind of insanely low yeah where, so where, I, where, where he lives right uh, and i would imagine he lives in the city because his living space looks really small yeah like the, the there's the caveat of like yeah it's a very small living space and also they had that really like grand line that made me where they said he only spends four dollars on food yeah, and I'm just like, how, and I wonder if that's a day, a week, or whatever, like, I'd imagine a day, but I could not yeah, imagine. It's mentioned that he spends $4 a day on food. Okay, thank you. Like, I know convenience store food there is on a completely different level, like, it's cheap, it's filling, it's pretty much good for you, but I cannot imagine what kind of, like, nutrition you're getting on only $4 a day. That's, like, maybe a protein shake. Yeah. I mean, or in the, the in the documentary we see him just eating sort of like prepackaged bread. Yeah, and I'm just thinking I love food. There's no way. Like I don't understand. Like I would rather go out and eat than have like a dumb figure on my shelf. Yeah, the, the United States equivalent would be would be like I can o to pay for my anime habit, I can only get like a, a, one McDonald's hamburger a day. <laughs> one sausage and cheese egg McMuffin a day. <laughs> yeah um, and that that would be my diet which just sounds horrible yeah exactly like i you're just not getting like that's not healthy essentially um but it's it's like the equivalent of like you know i can't afford my house payment this month because i bought too much cocaine like i just don't <laughs> like i just don't see how it's not healthy to prioritize those things, but I feel like at the same time, we've all been there. Like when people, like when we first started going to conventions, like, you know, we'd blow all of our money on Friday and then have no yeah. money to eat and no money to get home. <laughs> like, but as you, as you get older, it's just like, you realize that that item, unless it's like a super limited edition something, and you know, if you don't buy it now, it's going to be like, 800 times more on ebay like don't worry about it you'll probably find it online cheaper um i just i don't and I'll see also the re 
I was just gonna say, I don't see the reasoning in foregoing basic human needs so you can buy a piece of merchandise. It's just not good. Yeah, and the the, the one other I mean, thing I that... feel like I'm, I don't know if you're gonna mention those in your other like five pages of notes, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it does bring it back later where he talks about why he got into this to begin with. Yes, I, that's more, actually my next paragraph. So maybe, so maybe we'll wait to go into that. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to count if you're like, you know, oh, I can't eat today because I got to go buy a bunch of crack. I got to <laughs> go buy Blue Angel. <laughs> I mean, you got to go in the back alley and get that figure from my oh, dealer. Oh, God. But um, I, mean, I guess it, to kind of, I mean, that, that is what it is. He certainly has an unhealthy addiction. to this It's thing. an unhealthy coping so, mechanism. Re- yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not really as easy as just stop buying figures he he, you know, he he physically can of course but he really yeah. can't and I don't, he needs to address the issue yeah i don't i don't think it's quite the same as like going to a con your first time and blowing your money or going to your con for your your 15th time and blowing all your money knowing better because mm. he he has issues for sure well, i mean what is consumerism but filling a void in your soul what well, yeah, is like consumerism so- but the biggest illness <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Sully, we've we've talked about this in the past on on our Mari Kondo episodes, where people use consumerism to as a temporary high or as a temporary way to feel better if if that if your life is in a kind of a crappy place. Um, yeah, and I think that's and that's kind of uh, you'll probably get into his backstory, Tori. I don't I don't want to ruin your your your, your notes, but uh, thank you. But uh, but I think that's one reason is just with how his life went. Uh, he uses anime figures and all these same yeah. same me anime girl, which they all look the same to me. Uh, posters to to fill a void of like uh, of of a life and to make himself feel better. Right, and you know I never before I I just want to preface with like you know there's nothing wrong with seeing a character from anything it doesn't have to be anime it could be books or like a live action television show and saying you know me personally I think it's really cool that mob from mob psycho like every day tries to be a better person and you know maybe that's something I could do in my life too but there's a difference between like escapism and finding a trait that you would like to have in yourself and kind of executing that right um but you know to go into his background like he talked very much about having um a dysfunctional family he was feeling very suicidal so his family became religious and he tried to um turn to religion to sort of like alleviate his problems and like i'm not judging that a lot of plenty of people do that um but he says that he sees this illustration called blue angel and it basically saved him from being suicidal and like you know you kind of want to laugh at that but it also i think is not to armchair psych like therapist but it just you can tell that there are deeper issues there that are not being addressed and Mm. at first i thought it was going to be one of those things like you know how our generation we're like oh animal crossing cured my depression cleared my skin and i no longer have joint pain (laughs) um 
but it's it's kind of sad to like know that this guy was having all these issues and compartmentalize them in such a healthy way um i think it's fine to sort of have that image as a stepping stone he was like oh it was a sign from an angel to like make my life better and i'm like well that's kind of cute and um you know, doing whatever it takes to sort of rise above those issues. And he was talking about how he wanted to live a life of pure love and create his own works of art so he could kind of help people um, get through their rough times. And I was like, you know what? You might not be going about this in the best way, but I think what you're doing is, is a very thoughtful and sort of noble thing like you know you had a bad life so you want to make sure people don't have to go through that alone like that's sweet (laughs) yeah it feels like he's the answer is not a give up all of your hobbies it's get healthy and 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 develop a healthy boundary with it and maybe start creating because we see him drawing a picture at the end and talking to his friend saying, oh, I want you to do the music. And I just keep thinking, it's like, you could be like Dragon Knight 07. You could do that. You can you can right. be this. But I feel like you're you're holding yourself back with all of these, with all of this obsessive consumption. Of, uh, idolization of, of, of shuffle merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> of shuffle. Um, and it's like, you know, of course these characters are appealing. I said they're meant to be written that way. They're meant to be like the idealized form of a woman. Nobody's going to be that way. That's why Rei Ayanami exists as a character to show people, you know, you don't want this. Um, And just to kind of end it, um, that's why I was so, like, overjoyed about the overclocker segment. It's just such a good contrast between, like, this guy who sits in his room or just people who shut in and put all their stock and like energy into having these fake and fantasy relationships with fictional characters in like a completely unironic way. Um, You know, your 2D waifu isn't real. And even if she was, she wouldn't love you anyway. (laughs) And it's fine. I think it's fine to have traits that you like in a character that you would like in a partner in real life, like somebody that's kind or caring or artistic or whatever, like even in friends, like, of course, everybody wants like kind and caring friends. Um, But I think expecting anyone you'd have any kind of IRL relationship with, whether it be romantic or platonic, um, to be some fake anime character personality or just go along with with whatever you say or want them to do without any kind of like... Like, every relationship's going to have, like, disagreements and growth. Like, that's... Without those things, it's boring. Like, you might as well just have made a robot. Um, Mm. Like, your partner and your friends, they're not people for you to control in, like, some idealized world. And, you know, I feel like it has kind of progressively gotten worse. Like, you'll go online and you'll see comments from men being like, you know, 3D women are disgusting and 2D is the only way to go. And, like, that's discouraging like that's discouraging for a lot of people and that's unhealthy and i wish those people would get help like interpersonal relationships are meant to be rewarding and i feel like you know like Mm. to go back to ichika like she talked about that a lot she was like i was lacking interpersonal relationships and to have those in a game even in a game were rewarding and um i think just having real relationships, whether friendships, romantic, whatever, it's rewarding. Like, you know, you can't 
hold hands with a drawing at the end of the day unless you're really good at Photoshop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's all my notes about this young man and I hope he's doing well. So if anybody has anything to add, please go ahead because I just went off. I was just going to say, kind of going back to what I said before, I had the sort of shock of recognition because I live in a one-room apartment and I have a room full... I mean, all of you have been in my room. It's full of anime crap. Um, (laughs) And I was just like, oh god, am I about to look at myself? But um, it's this sort of... Like you said, he's just so sort of divorced from... From reality ha- from not i don't mm. i don't even necessarily think reality i mean there's that but i think she's so divorced from like meaningful human connection um mm-hmm. and i think that's what he needs and i i don't want to say that people can't have their life changed by media or changed for the better by any media but there's a sort of healthy relationship with that, that i think is the problem and i i really do hope he like here's the thing is like this documentary again it doesn't make me like want to recoil away from him and think oh i'm terrified i'm horrified that such a person exists in this world i really am left thinking i hope that in the 10 years plus since this documentary aired that you're it's been 15 yes i really hope and he was 20 so he's almost 40 i hope he's in a better place i hope he's happy and healthy i hope that his creative energy went to something fulfilling. Like, I, I want everyone in this documentary to have a happy ending. And we really don't get endings with them. Mm-mm. No, when he, when he said the thing about the dysfunctional family, I was like, oh, damn, I realize why you used to watch so much media with, like, good, happy, healthy families. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. I, I think the the choice of his fixation is very unfortunate. Um, yes. I think the main thing is the unhealthy coping mechanism. So it really comes down to the uh, complete lack of focus on mental health in Japan. You mm-hmm. know, for as bad as it is in America, it's a hundred times worse in Japan, where you're just expected to go with the flow and be normal. And if you're not, you're ostracized, and you have to find whatever uh, coping mechanism you can in that. I don't think he's really um, lack. I don't think he's really lacking in human connection. He does have friends. He does go out. You know, he does see people and hangs out with people. It's more so that this is the thing that he's fixated on because of, you know, his trauma. And he really can't quit because it is an addiction. It, he might as well be a drug. It would be if, you know, he were in America because that would give him pleasure. And it's certainly not healthy, you know, at all, of course. Um, it just happens to be a very embarrassing, uh, you know, the subject mm-hmm. of that fixation here. So I hope, you know, if nothing else, you know, if he does want to stick with, with, uh, you know, be shoujo, then that, that's all fine. But, you know, he should move on to like, like we talked about creating new work or doing something with that rather than just, you know, buy product, consume product. Mm -hmm. Uh, continuously to a degree that is unhealthy both for his uh you know his 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 relationships his mental health and his his wallet Mm -hmm. that that also makes me wonder because it's that like he does go out to go buy stuff and whatnot but because of his total fixation on his uh 2d relationships uh the possibility of like stunted ability and stunted growth to engage in social interaction 
which mm-hmm. um, I would think if he stayed that way 10 years later, then he might be, it would be very tough for him to have a relationship outside of his otaku uh, friendships and to kind of be, go beyond that and and uh, have the kind of social skills to uh, to to be out there in the world and not just be a shut-in. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is that harms, like you were saying, Tori, is the entire fixation of uh, 2D characters, it makes it makes people think that a relationship is just a physical attraction and surface level uh, personality when uh, relationships are much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whether that be um, your ideals, whether that be um, just individual quirks, there, there's, there's more to a relationship than just uh, physical attractiveness, which I think by him just, over focusing on his 2d love interests uh that kind of gives him a misperception and people in general misperception about uh romance and relationships so do we have any sort of closing comments on akihabara geeks um i would like to see an updated version of this because i feel like and i'm sure we'll get into it more with the other ones that we're going to talk about but this stuff has changed so 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 much and i don't have time to get into it now but i really would love to see like them go into aki now and film eight people or something and be like hey what you doing today nothing good okay (laughs) uh not only want to see what an update like that i want to see an update on these people specifically where are they now 10 years later, mm-hmm. 15 years later. Uh, I have a general request is I wish NHK would make their documentaries more widely available outside of Japan mm-hmm. uh, because they're actually really well made uh, for the most part. And they're, they're able to talk to people that most people uh, that most third parties aren't able to talk to. Yes. Um, they... Go ahead. It's like uh I would love to. St- I wish the Gundam one and the Lupin the Third one and the one on Comic Head and uh, a couple of the other ones. I think there's one on Sailor Moon would uh, would uh, get released here in the United States. I know people would watch them, and even though they're not, they're produced by the government and in sanction with these companies. So you don't. It's it's not a like a raw insight into these um, histories, but you get some form of insight which is always interesting. Mm-hmm. Bill, you mean to tell me you didn't watch Heroes of Cosplay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're, you know, you're forgetting the best documentary, America's Greatest Otaku, uh, by the former founder of Tokyo Pop. That's, uh, oh, yes. yeah. What was that? We, we will be watching that. I, I, will, I still remember the day that Austin Craver brought that DVD into my home and sat me down and and put it in my dvd player and we watched it and i it's it's amazing that's what you're gonna say i i feel (laughs) like i feel like that night i was not the same person afterwards i i can demarcate the points in my life between when i saw otaku unite and when i was innocent and free (laughs) uh oh we should also mention that Aki uh, Habra Geeks is available on YouTube. 
so it's and not behind any service. You can just search for it as Akihabara Geeks on YouTube and watch it. It's also on DVD, and you can get, like, four bucks on eBay. So, I mean, go out and support it, but this is a 15-year-old documentary, and no one cares. Yeah. Not getting repressed anytime soon. <laughs> so, uh, with that said, uh, where can we find you guys on the internet if people want to bother you about your opinions on Shuffle or on Overclocking? <laughs> <laughs> or Higurashi in Tori's case. <laughs> um i am at the same place i always am which is hell which is twitter at com. no it's just wherswaifu but i felt very compelled to say dot com and bill where can we find you um you can find me also on twitter at wb foreman f-o-r-e-m-a-n uh, 999 on Twitter. You can also find my writings at our website, thirdimpactanime.com, where you can also find links to our podcasts and uh, my uh, hopefully not too annoying writing. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, I, I'm saying this so that way I can get it done, is I'm working on getting through anthology anime works. And so I'm going to probably be starting to do uh, anthology anime reviews on our website. So first up is going to be a the Animatrix, uh, which uh, Studio 4C and Madhouse worked on uh, with uh, Shatoru Watanabe of Cowboy Bebop fame. So that review hopefully will be up on our website when this episode comes out. And Tobias, where can we find you? Uh, I likewise uh, have a very unhealthy addiction to Twitter, although I don't spend uh, 400 of my $800 monthly allowance on Twitter, thank God. <laughs> Uh, my account is at reverend underscore Tobias. And you can find me um, outside reading a book, hopefully, or on <laughs> Twitter at C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N, Calvacun. Um, you can also find me on Instagram with that same handle, except there's not an underscore because I don't know how to spell. Um, so with that, we're going to call it an episode guys this has been the third impact anime podcast um go outside and read a book <laughs> go outside and read a book that's what the shirts for this year are gonna say yes i really wish i was outside reading a book right now